Uh, we've had a, a good day up at Ballarat. I didn't think we'd even get a seat. There were quite a few people on their way back to South Australia. Obviously didn't know uh, their way home because they stopped in Ballarat. I mean, who goes to Ballarat? I do, but uh, not many others. But we had a great time, lovely, lovely time of fellowship with the folks up there. Uh, we, had a, we had a wonderful time at the NBF. I trust those of you who were able to be there really enjoyed it. It was a great answer to prayer. Uh, I was actually musing afterwards. I, I was talking with uh, Pastor Eccles' brother and uh, suddenly dawned on me, now I know what Brother Eccles looks like if he had hair. But, uh, but they, they, they really had such a servant's heart there. There was such a sweet spirit, uh, good preaching and the... the the congregational singing and the special music and the orchestra and all those things, uh, it's just so uplifting and so encouraging. So uh, thank you for praying for us. I enjoyed the youth ministry and the general ministry and uh, we just had a really good time. Uh, just a couple of things to update you on. Uh, our granddaughter Bella has gone home from hospital today. Uh, hopefully she's going to have a longer stay at home. So if you would continue praying for her. Uh, concerning our friend, uh, Brother Richard Shellabear, pastor at Shoalhaven Baptist, uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system when Brother Shellabear rang me just over a week ago. Uh, when I was at Shoalhaven uh, about three weeks ago, uh, after he'd had COVID, Brother Shellabear had had a constant problem with uh, fluid on one lung. And uh, he said to me on the Friday, we, we had something planned. He said, we're not going to do that we need to go up to the Wollongong Hospital and they're going to do a scan and, and drain my lung. And I said, well, you know, we could do it here on the kitchen floor, get a garden hose or something. But we went up to the hospital and uh, he was a little bit apprehensive about it. And of course, it's quite a painful procedure. But he was very encouraged afterwards because after they drained the fluid, uh, the pathology doc there said, you know, that looks really good. Uh, there's no blood, there's no thickening, the fluid's quite clear and quite thin. And, you know, that's all a really good sign. So, you know, that's great. And so we, we went back to Nowra. And then a week later, he got a phone call to say uh, he has stage four cancer in the lung. And uh, it's a secondary cancer. They still haven't actually located where the cancer originated. Uh, I had the blessing of talking with that Shellabear yesterday. He's out of the ICU and still in the hospital and hoping to go home on Tuesday, uh, maybe Monday, but very likely Tuesday got a whole battery of tests and scans that he still has to go through so if you could uh, remember him in prayer and uh, the folk there they're actually been uh, looking for a uh, a future pastor for the church and uh, that need has suddenly become not something so future but uh, he's very optimistic that the Lord is in control and uh, it was just encouraging to talk to him but um, was a, a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, he actually rang and told me on the fifth anniversary of his wife Margaret going to be with the Lord. So it was a very difficult day for him, but uh, we know that God and his wisdom has a purpose and a plan uh, in all those things. Please be in prayer for us. Next weekend we'll be at Lighthouse Baptist in Sydney uh, with Pastor Gus Batatuzzi and the folks. We're going to be doing a missions conference uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then in the following weekends we'll be. Uh, 
at Condal Park uh, Bible Church, then at MacArthur Baptist Church, then uh, at Faith Baptist at Faulkner, Calvary in the evening, then at Lifegate Baptist in Brisbane, then we have three consecutive weeks in Adelaide uh, before we turn up again at Westside and then back to Ballarat. Uh, so we have a very busy schedule from now until almost Christmas. So we would covet your prayers for each of those outreach opportunities. Uh, being mindful, our preacher reminded us at the NBF, the field is the world. And uh, we sure do want to see God uh, send out uh, servants into all the world. And one of the things that really uh, had been on my heart since the NBF was uh, apparently the, I wasn't there, but the youth rally apparently was really well attended and, and well responded to. We had the joy of having several good youth rallies here when we've hosted the NBF at Calvary. I'm very mindful that we had young people made decisions for service for Christ and life-changing decisions at those youth rallies uh, back in, I think, what, 2007, 2015, I think it was, you know, so a long time. And uh, those, those decisions that they made at youth rallies have become very, very real, uh, very true in their own lives. And I think we need to be praying on a daily basis for the decisions some of our young people made uh, at those youth rallies and other meetings that the Lord would give them the courage and the faith to step out and to follow through on that which he put on their heart. Uh, we are blessed to enjoy three grandchildren. Uh, Caleb and Deborah actually met at an NBF here uh, at Calvary Baptist many years ago and now living the happily ever after, generally. <laughs> uh, yeah, but just a real blessing. So uh, pray for our young people. Uh, they really are, in many ways, the, the generation to come if the Lord should tarry. We need faithful men, faithful women. And uh, I know that they, they are going to be needing our prayers. I've also been made aware of a particular prayer request from uh, Brother Nixon Sachembe. Uh, Brother Sachembe is the pastor of the uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church in the Conde in Zambia. Uh, Brother Nixon has been travelling... Uh, out of Nakonde down into the south, into the bush area, uh, to an area called Chawapi. Chimpati, Chimpati, yeah, Chimpati, I've got to remember it there. And uh, Wayoni. Uh, these are two small villages where he has contacts from the market in Nakonde. People come up to the markets there in the Condé and Tunduma to sell goods and through them he's having some Bible studies with some folks who had made decisions for Christ in those villages and uh, he's praying about getting a motorbike to allow him rather than walking the 35 kilometres uh, down and back or getting on his little treadly uh, uh, pedal bike. Uh, it's quite a distance to go. It's uh, definitely off-road. And uh, so he did mention that to me in conversation. He's not asking, but I'm asking you to pray uh, for the Lord to undertake for them that they'd have wisdom. Not much good buying a motorbike if you don't know how to ride it. Uh, they don't quite stop as quickly as a, as a Malvern Star. And uh, also the, the problem of maintenance uh, can also be uh, an ongoing problem. So pray for wisdom for that particular need but uh, we really enjoy the ministries in Zambia Brother O'Sullivan uh, if you heard Brother O'Sullivan preach uh, at the NBF you realise what a what a blast that guy I mean he's just so passionate 
for the Lord. And I really enjoyed his preaching last year and again this year. And uh, he's just recently had his family and some of their young adults. They travelled to Zambia. They did a family camp there. They visited Numpulungu. Uh, Brother James O'Sullivan told me he was just amazed at the saturation of the Islamic uh, culture in Umpalungu. And uh, I think we had said that uh, back in 2018 when we had met a man in Umpalungu who told us that the new building on the hillside was not a new Chinese supermarket, but was rather a new mosque that they were building and they were going to make Umpalungu uh, the Islamic capital of Zambia. And uh, sadly, as Brother James said, you know, they've bought up businesses everywhere. Uh, they've bought up homes everywhere. They're building everywhere. And of course, it's very, very easy to get into Umbulungu. You just come across the lake. You come out of Tanzania, which is predominantly Muslim. You come out of some of the northern areas, Central Africa areas, which are predominantly Muslim. And uh, it's almost like, like the Mormons going onto a mission field for a couple of years. Uh, they are well paid, they are well maintained, and they are well equipped. And uh, there is a great need for us to pray uh, for God to raise up servants uh, in Zambia as well. Let's take a Bible this evening and open to the book of Acts, if you would open there, please. Acts and chapter uh, 26. Acts and chapter 26. Here is a passage of scripture that is probably well known to many of God's people and uh, I want to read this particular portion of scripture but it's really only as a point of reference because as Paul was sharing his witness, his testimony with the king and with Festus and I'm quite sure there were quite a few others present in the king's presence that day. It says in verse 24, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he, that is Paul, said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth, and I want you to take note of that, the king knoweth of these things before whom I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God not only uh, that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these bonds. Sometimes wonder if Paul was having a little bit of a joke at the end of his testimony there. Would have everybody be just like me, except for the bracelets I'm wearing. Let's pray, shall we, as we open the word. Heavenly Father, bless our time in the word. On this precious time on the Lord's day, when we can come together and enjoy a time of meditation on the Word of God and allow it to refresh and strengthen our heart and our spiritual resolve for the busy week ahead. 
In the course of this week, we will come in contact with people who know not the Lord, people who perhaps know of Christ, people who perhaps have heard of him, people who perhaps once upon a time had some form of allegiance and even some level of affection for the precious Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are your witnesses, Lord. We are your servants. We are your ambassadors. You have called us to be as a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid, to be a light in a dark place and to shine forth in the midst of this wicked generation among whom we dwell. But Lord, I pray that you would allow this time tonight to be again another strengthening agent in our walk with thee and our faith and trust in thee. Meet with us now and bless our time, we pray and ask in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Now Paul had been in jail, in prison for some two years under the guidance of the arrest of one Felix. Felix wanted money. What a miserable politician he was. Just at the end of the day, a politician of whom the scripture tells us he sent for Paul the oftener hoping that he would receive some money. Maybe, maybe some wealthy follower of Christ would put their hand in their pocket and hand over a bag of shekels and he could let Paul go. But no, the message never changed, the accommodation never changed. It was a difficult time, but the Apostle Paul, faithful to his calling as a servant of Jesus Christ, stayed in chains and continued some two years and then God as he does and as we've seen on many occasions down through human history even here when God's had enough of people in positions of power he simply moves them on just like Nebuchadnezzar said they that walk in pride he is able to abase and Felix moved off the stage we don't know whether Felix ever made a decision for Christ I don't know any Christian, I don't know any Bible-believing Christian worth their salt who was looking forward to knowing anybody went to hell. The reality is hell has enlarged itself to receive multitudes who have rejected the Son of God, who have dis done despite to the grace of God, who have trampled underfoot the blood of the covenant and, call, uh, and counted as nothing as Esau once did the promises of God. They were meaningless, they were worthless. They, they were cheap trinkets to him. We don't want anyone to die in their sin and go to hell, but we don't know. But then Festus. Festus now continues the tradition of holding court with this man, this Saul of Tarsus, this Apostle Paul, this follower of the way, this, this Apostle of Christ this ambassador of the master from, from Nazareth. And uh, as he is preaching and teaching and he is allowed to have some come and go and visit with him, as he's ministering, as he's preaching, people are getting saved. People are growing in grace and knowledge of Christ. People are getting bold and waxing bolder in their testimony and their witness for Christ. And then it's funny, if you read all through chapter 25, it's like a typical, a typical politician, Festus makes up this ripping yarn all about, you know, why I've got this guy Paul here. 
you know, and it's all because he's appealed to Caesar and, you know, I really didn't know what to do with him and, you know, he's a nice guy, but, you know, my hands are tied and all this nonsense. And then he says, when King Agrippa came, when the king came with his wife Bernice, you know, he said, I thought you'd like to meet him. And I'm sure Agrippa had heard of him. The thing is, what we miss sometimes is at the beginning of chapter 26, we are introduced to this man Agrippa where he says in verse 1, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I'm accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all the customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee, hear me patiently. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I've been slowly, not because of old age or any diseasing, slowly because of the subject, slowly going through looking at the subject of the Herods of the Bible. Now, I have names for the Herods of the Bible. We have the butcher of Bethlehem, that's Herod infanticide, killed all the babies of Bethlehem. Uh, one of the things we perhaps don't realise about, about this Herod, the uh, grandson of uh, Herod the Great, was that this particular Herod, uh, he was actually ordained by the, by the Senate of Rome as a king. He was legitimately declared to be a king in the regions of Judea and uh, what was sometimes called Edomia, which was the dwelling of the uh, Edomite uh, civilization. And of course, these Herods are from the line of Esau. They are from Edom. And you remember Esau when he was born, therefore was he came out red all over. Therefore, they called his name Edom, which is red. And so here we have this, this line of Herods, beginning with Herod Infanticide, who was the butcher of Bethlehem. Then we had Herod Homicide, his son, who then killed John the Baptist because John had the audacity to point out that what he was doing was sinful. Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. It's adultery. And this sin is an affront to God. And God expects people in positions of leadership that have influence and power over his people, he expects them to raise the standard, not lower it. And because he didn't like it and uh, he was more partial to some little dance that his daughter-in-law or stepdaughter did, imagine she came in dressed in as little as possible and she pranced and leaped around and belly danced in front of him and, until his eyeballs fell out and his brains with it. And then he said, I'll give you half of the kingdom, you know, tell me whatever you want. You know, a big reward, happy birthday, darling. And she said, Mum, what should I ask for? Can I have a Ferrari? No, you can't have a Ferrari, you can't drive. And they haven't made them yet. They won't be making them for at least 1950 years. Well, can I have a camel with a V8 chariot? No, you can't have a, you know, you're not big enough and strong enough to, to drive a chariot. Said, well, what can I ask for? You know, rubies, gold, silver, precious stone. Said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Bring it in. Put it on a charger. I want to see that ugly mug on a silver platter. 
I saw a preacher recently that made the comment that the John the Baptist lost his head, but he never lost his voice. His, his faithful ministry, his devotion for Christ, his, his devotion to Christ never ever wavered as he clearly declared what God called sin and it didn't stop just because somebody was a little higher up the food chain. And so Herod homicide killed John the Baptist. The sad thing this preacher noted is that a lot of people, do they keep their head but they lose their voice because they want to please the people, they don't have the message anymore. And uh, we've seen that happen down through the years with a lot of uh, people who have become famous or popular or successful or whatever, and they keep their head, but they lose their voice. Then we had uh, Herod fungicide in Acts chapter 12. He gave this great oratory and everybody said, oh, it's the voice of a God. I mean, this, this guy's an absolute deity and God was so impressed he smote him with worms. Now, I don't know how big the worms are. I don't know what type they were. I mean, uh, uh, they could have been lung worms. You know, you can get uh, infections of the lungs. You know, if you, if you pick up snails and you don't eat, if you don't cook them properly, they can be really, really dangerous. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. But anyway, but he died. And so that was Herod fungicide. It's interesting, as I've been doing this study, this Herod here, Herod Agrippa, is known to be the most honourable of all the line of Herods. He wasn't as great politically he wasn't as powerful politically. He wasn't a great military leader like his great-great-grandfather. But he was among the most respected because of his ability to deal with people. His ability to be able to pacify and satisfy the needs of the people. Now, this is very likely what Paul is alluding to here when he says to them that you are expert concerning... I know that to be expert in all the customs and questions which are among the Jews. And so as I'm looking at this and I understand who he was and where he came from, I began to think on this over the last week or so. What did he know? What did he know? Now, we could do the rounds of the room here and have a thinking cap on. Everyone got a little quiz. Uh, how many different uh, political or religious groups do you know from the Bible? We know of the group called the scribes. They're the intellectuals. They're the ones, the copyists, literally the students who are responsible for writing out the law of the Lord. They are the teachers in the synagogue. We know of the Pharisees and we know how strict and hard they were. We know of the Sadducees which do not believe in the spirit world. They do not believe in, uh, in the resurrection. They have all these other rules and things. They're kind of like the liberals while the other guys were the hard-nosed lot. Then we have the Essenes which is like another political power that have their roots along these Edomites. And of course, then you could find other little groups. We know historically there have been various uh, so-called messiahs that rose up amongst the Jewish people and they always got a following. In fact, that was one of the accusations that was made before the conversion of Paul. His master was a man named Gamaliel. You remember the name of Nicodemus from John's Gospel who first comes to Jesus by night with genuine questions. 
Later, actually, in, the, in, in one of the great uh, gatherings of the rulers, he actually stands up defending the actions of Christ and then later identifies himself as a follower of Christ by going to jo- with Joseph of Arimathea for the dead body of the Lord Jesus to anoint and prepare it for burial. You ever notice you don't hear a Nicodemus after that? Did they take him out and stone him? Was he on the receiving end of the old cultural shunning that was so, so, so popular and so powerful in those times? Remember in John's Gospel in chapter 9, the parents of a little boy who was born blind and now he's over 30 years of age. His whole life he's been blind and now someone said, go wash in the pool of Siloam and he went away and he washed and he came away seeing. And he gave testimony before all the rulers saying, a man named Jesus, a prophet. Is he a prophet? I don't know. He said, he just told me to go and wash and I came away seeing you. What what, what more could I do? His parents would not acknowledge who had done this lest they should be put out of the synagogue. To be shunned, to be shut out in this way, you lose your business. You lose everything. Nobody buys and sells from you. If you're a farmer, you've got no market for your fruit and veggies anymore. If, you're, if, if you raise cattle, nobody wants your beef. If you've got sheep, nobody wants your mutton or your, your spring land. Nobody wants nothing. You get nothing. You don't have neighbours anymore. You don't have friends anymore. You are shunned. So great was their fear. And of course, we know that there were people who were still followers of John the Baptist. Uh, Paul's going to meet some of them later on in the book. So we've got all these different groups here. Now, I have to ask myself... When it says here that this man is an expert, what did he know? What would he know about the history of the Jewish people? I mean, he is deemed a political king, not like his great-great-grandfather who was actually ordained by the Senate of Rome as a king, but he is respected as a king. Obviously, he's greatly respected by Festus. And did you notice the way in which Paul spoke to him? Paul says, well, it's about time. We finally got someone in here who knows what I'm talking about. I mean, all I've got is this Tertullus who, who's, you know, rattling on like a, like, a, like a broken pinball machine and these guys over here that keep on threatening and they do this, this, and they never turn up. And here I am, I've been in prison for nearly three years and I still haven't had a decent trial. No wonder the poor man appealed to Caesar was the only way to get things happening. But then when this man turns up, he says, oh yes, you're an expert. What would he know of the history of the Jewish people? Even beyond the Jewish people. Would he know the testimony of the Old Testament writings from the books of Moses concerning a man named Abram? Oh, that's right. Abraham would be the um, uh, uh, great-grandfather or the grandfather of Esau. Oh, yeah, okay. So he'd know about about Abram, right? And if he knew about Abraham, he'd know about the faith of Abram. He'd know about the roots and the journey of Abram from out of uh, Mesopotamia and down in Ur of the Chaldees, up through the desert, down through the jungle, down into the promised land. He would know all about that. If we move it forward a few hundred years, did he know about the exodus of the children of Israel 
the seed of Abraham out of their bondage in Egypt? Oh, yeah, we knew about that too. It's there in the scriptures. It's in the book of Moses. It's in one of those first five books that is so revered by all of those in positions of power among the Jewish culture. Do you think he knew about the Passover? Oh, yeah, the blood of the lamb. Okay. Do you think he knew about Yom Kippur, that one great day of the year when God's people gathered together for the sacrifice of the scapegoat and the sprinkling of the blood before and upon the mercy seat there within beyond the veil in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. He knew all this! Wow. We could say he was a very cultured man. Do you think we say that he's a cultured man? Let me ask you, what is culture? And I'm not talking about yoga. Okay? I heard a preacher some years ago say culture, the definition of culture is the way in which people live in accordance with their belief in God. Look at the Australian culture. Hmm? Has it changed since 1959? Did you hear recently, I think it was two months ago, uh, uh, what's his name? I was going to say Ben Franklin. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, uh, Billy's boy was, pre- Franklin Graham was preaching in London and they had several thousand people came. Over 800 people responded to the preaching of the gospel. A very simple but a very biblical gospel message calling them. But the reality is, even if you had, even if you raised Billy Graham from the dead, even if you raised Moses from the dead, you'd be pushed to get more than five or six thousand people turn up to hear him speak. You see, in the early 1900s in this country, a public display of a painting by a man named Holman Hunt toured the land of Australia. It was the third time he had painted this particular uh, art, piece of artwork called The Light of the World. You've probably seen it. It's got a man decked out in regal robes with a lantern in hand standing outside of a door that's grown over with vines and, and whatnot. And there in the shadows, there are no handle on the door and the simple text that is often related to it was, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. When it was first painted back in the 1880s, it, 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 all throughout Europe, people were just astounded at the beauty and it seemed like the spiritual power that attracted people to come from all over the world to see this work. Then by a, a large church, he was commissioned to do a smaller version and then another version and shortly before he lost his eyesight through diabetes... Holman Hunt painted his largest version. It stood over six feet tall and over a metre wide. And it was taken all around the world. In 1904 to 1906, it came to Australia. And the record is told that as it went along the east coast of Australia between Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane back to Sydney and Melbourne, 
over one third of Australia's population at the time went to see that painting. At a time when our population was less than seven million people, one third, over two million people, they said people wept as they went in to see this piece of artwork. That's what our culture was like. 140,000 at the G to hear a preacher. That's what our culture was like. How many of you have ever heard of a program called Christianity Explained? Christianity Explained was started by a man who had taught religious instruction, as they often call it, or RE, in state schools all over Queensland for over 40 years until one year, in, I think it was in early 1990, he came upon a class of children in grade three who had never heard the Christmas or the Easter story, who had no idea that Jesus Christ was actually a person from the Bible who claimed and authenticated himself to be God come in the flesh. A classroom of almost 40 children in the city of Brisbane who never had heard of Jesus as a person. And it shocked him. And he was the one who started Christianity to try and arrest what he called the rot of our culture spiritually. You see, in the Bible, wherever the gospel went, culture changed. Don't believe me? Look at the Thessalonians. Look at the Ephesians and their great is Diana. Oh, look at the Corinthians with all the immorality there in 1 Corinthians 6 as the scripture goes through and talks about all these effeminate and abusers themselves and all these fornicators and adulterers and thieves and covetous and drunkards. He says, and such were. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified. Changed culture. You know what we see today? We see our culture being turned upside down again with the wholesale rejection of God and rejection of Christ and rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a constant reviling and attacking on the word of God. We have a culture now that is almost pornographic. A culture today that is so spiritually polluted that the only thing that matters is selfish, fleshly indulgence. Making money, getting to the top, be as dishonest as you want, as lazy as you want, you will be rewarded. By the way, God says you'll be rewarded too. Just be thankful. You know, not everybody would want the wages of sin if it got paid off the same day we did it. So I'm asking myself, what did this man know? Paul says you're expert. You know all about the customs of the Jews, the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, the Passover, the rich history, the Exodus. You want to know all of these things. There was a time in Australian culture when most of us knew that Christmas was all about the birth of Christ. It's when the Son of God came into the world. That's, it's there in the scripture. It's clearly taught that Easter was not about chocolates and bunnies. and It was about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
and the crowning glory of the Christian faith was Easter Sunday when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead. It's there in the scripture. It's testified all down through history. It is verified by the testimony, not just of the scripture, but in the hearts and the lives of multitudes, multitudes, multitudes of people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the most decadent, wicked people who have ever lived have seen their lives turned around through faith in the risen Lord of glory. Culture. Their belief in Christ, their faith in God's Son, their faith in God, their trust in the promises of God's word changed the way they thought, changed the way they lived, changed the things they loved, changed the things they lived for. Culture. What's our culture like today? You see, as I read through this scripture, Two questions I have was firstly, after hearing Paul's testimony of his conversion and his calling and the change in this man's life, it is indisputable something happened to this man on the road to Damascus. He says he saw and he heard a voice from heaven, the risen Christ. And now all these sufferings, all these deprivations, all these hardships, all these things that he is enduring as a good soldier of Christ, the man obviously is either totally nuts or totally true. We all know what Festus thought, don't we? Paul, duh, much learning makes you mad. What would you have said? Would you have given him a big old-fashioned Chris Hustler bag of pull your head in? Shut your clapper, Festus, I'm not talking to you. No, he didn't. He said, most noble Festus. That's got to be grace. That's good. When people push your buttons like that, that's got to be the grace of God that allows you to bite your tongue and then speak sweetly. But he did. But he said, Agrippa, Believest thou the prophets, I know thou believe. Did he really not? You see, what we've talked about here is his knowledge. But knowing is not enough. Here's an interesting little verse that that's the Spirit of God put on my heart over the course of this day of all things. As we have been moving about and... Uh, contemplating my navel in Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 2 speaking of the the generation that did not enter the promised land but using them as an illustration to the generations even to now when we dwell it says for unto us in verse 2 was the gospel preached as well as unto them but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. No one's not enough. I mean I've, I've met people over the course of the 40, 45 years that I've been married. Married? Sorry. Saved. It's all right, my wife's asleep. It's all right. It's all right, I put her to sleep, I'll wake her up after. Yeah. 
Over the course of the ministry, I've met people who know the Bible better than I do. They, they, they can turn you and me inside out with their knowledge of the Word of God. But it's up here. It's not in here. It's not being mixed with faith. And do we need to be reminded, without faith it is impossible to please him. We said this to the young people at the NBF. There's two things that Hebrews 11.6 would would suggest to it. Firstly, that there is a massive distance between you and God, me and God, us and God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. There's a gap between us. It's our sin. But not only is there this distance, but there is this desire. The scripture would remind us that the Lord seeketh such to worship him. God, God wants men to be saved. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith. This man had knowledge, not faith. Believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. This was not a believing faith. This was a faith of this was a matter of simple knowledge. Now, I may be wrong. And I'm happy to be wrong if it means this man, Herod Agrippa, is home in glory in heaven. I can live with that. And I'm sure even right now, if he's home in glory, he's not offended or slighted by what I'm saying. But the reality is it would appear from this scripture that he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I've got the knowledge. I know the story. I know the characters. I know how the whole thing played out. I know all the prophecies of the past and the Old Testament scriptures concerning the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. I know all those things. I've read it in the Psalms. I've sung it in the songs. I've grown up knowing all these things and I very carefully studied them. So I know these things, but they're not mixed with faith. You've got to have faith. For by grace are you saved through Do you have faith? See, so I asked myself, what did he do with what he knew? Well, he just added it to the collection. I think it would have been wonderful for this man to go on down to his next destination be able to say, you will never guess what we did up in Caesarea. <laughs> we met the Apostle Paul. You kid, Paul? You mean that old, that old redneck Pharisee that got converted on the... Yeah, let me tell you what he told us. And he could have spent a couple of hours telling everybody all about Paul's heavenly vision and his calling and the voice and the blindness and, and all these different things. And yeah, maybe even Paul in between. I mean, we don't know if we have the whole story. He might have gone in and told him all these other things that happened, other things God had done and how God had, had been directing his steps and leading and guiding and ruling in his life. And you know, he said, oh man, that guy, that, 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 he's nuts. I didn't want to tell him to his face. But I think he's been out in the sun a bit long. I've got a feeling he got a few ruse loose in the top paddock, mate. I mean, <laughs> I mean, talk about a story. What are, I mean, but I know. I know all about the seed of Abraham. 
I know all about the books of Moses. I know all about the Levitical law. I know all about the offerings. I know all about the promises. I know all about the prophets. I know all about their poetry. I know all about their history. I know, I know it, but I don't really So where is he now? Huh? But let's apply it to us. What about what do we know? What do you know? I look around this room and there are people I've known for almost as long as I've been saved. I guess over the years you might have learned a few things from the Bible. You might have seen the hand of God at work in your life. And you know some things. You might even know the gospel. You know the Christmas story. It's not about sanity clause. You know it's not about bunnies and, and rabbits and, and chockies and You know it's all about a cross, a cruel, rugged cross, a blood-stained cross. You know it was really all about a beaten and broken body that was, that was so marred beyond the, uh, the visage of any mere man. You know that he had been identified as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You know it. Chip, got that one? Do you believe it from the heart? Is it mixed with faith? What do you know? Do you know Christ as your own personal saviour? Do you really believe that he died for your sin and that he was buried and that he rose again? I do. I believe this same one who was buried, who died and buried and rose again, I believe this same one, this same Jesus will come again, just as he said. They saw him go back home into heaven through the clouds. He's told us he will come again in the clouds of his glory. In that day, this world will see clouds that it has never seen before. For there will not merely be little white or grey or fluffy little clouds. There will be clouds that are filled with the glory of the Son of God. Can you explain to me how the scripture can prophesy that when he returns, every eye will see him? How can people on the other side of the world where it's four o'clock in the morning while well, here we are, six o'clock in the, in the afternoon, how in the world can we all see the same thing? Don't ask me, but God will make it seem. We think we're clever and we can put a projector together and run a computer. <laughs> God can create a whole cosmos. God can make the, the, the universe in which we live and the universes and all the galaxies beyond, he can make it all run like the finest Swiss watch and never skip a beat. For thousands of years, not millions. Forget the millions, folks. That ain't happen. Do you believe that? From the heart, not here. Here. By faith, I believe that. I've never seen Jesus Christ. I've never even seen a picture of Jesus Christ. I've never even seen the blood of the cross. I have been to where they think, or what they think was the tomb of Christ. I have walked along stones where very likely he walked, but I didn't see any footprints. I didn't find any sandals. I didn't find any garments. 
I went into the garden tomb and I didn't see any I didn't see any knee prints in the garden of Gethsemane where someone had been kneeled down praying. I didn't see any sweating drops of blood on the ground. I didn't see any of that. But by faith I believe it because that's what the scripture says. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we close tonight by asking ourselves, what do you know? Do you know Christ? Do you believe? Have you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God shall not see life. You know, when we have opportunity to share the gospel and challenge people with the need of Christ, it's amazing the number of times, the moment you mention the Bible, they scoff. I challenge you and encourage you. The next time you make mention of the Bible and somebody gives you a little huff, just ask them, have you ever read it? Have you ever actually read a Bible? Because the majority of people I think back on that huffed and puffed about had never even touched the book, never ever opened the book, never ever read the book. They do not understand that God uses this, his living word, to strike through the sin barrier into the heart of man and to show the greatness of his love and mercy through his son. What do you know? I know Christ. Or if we could quote the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that. Thank you, Pastor. Would you come for us, please? Thank you. Now, I was trying to teach Joshua that. You know, here in Australia, some people will use that even as a greeting. What do you know? And he, he quite couldn't get it. And I said, we're supposed to answer not much. Well... I know one thing, people would like to argue. They have all sorts of things to say about the Bible. They have every opinion under the sun about the faith. But my faith has found a resting place, amen. amen. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I know Christ. You know Christ. And let's sing about him tonight. And uh, what a wonderful reminder again. That precious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's share it. Let's cherish it. My faith has found a resting place. 228, would you stand with me please?